You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. 1 Samuel 17. So if you will find your Bibles or on your device, if you would find your way to 1 Samuel 17. Some interesting things. You might enjoy some of these trivial or trivia facts about this. Really, 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings are really viewed, it's really one major work. Um, if you were to go to the ancient Hebrew, that's really how those books are to be looked at. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings in our English Bibles is one complete work. But when they wrote it down in the Hebrew, it took two scrolls and so Samuel was one scroll and Kings was one scroll. But when they translated it in the Septuagint to Greek, Greek takes twice as many words as it does in the Hebrew. So men are kind of Hebrews, a few words, women are Greek, and they use twice as many words. And so that's where you get First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings because it took twice as many scrolls. And so our English Bibles kind of stayed with that, and so that's why you have 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look at probably one of the most uh, famous kind of parts of the Old Testament. It's the famous battle, the story of David and Goliath. But we need to be really careful with this narrative this morning, because we often hear this story, this illustration taught... From the standpoint of, you know what, just be more like David. Just go and have more courage. Just stand up against the bullies in your life. Be more like David. Well, I want you to know, if you don't know this about me already, but I'm an excellent father. Um, I really am. I mean, I know just the right thing to say at the right time. I mean, every day my kids get to wake up and they get to drink from the fountain of my wisdom. And so it wasn't too long ago, one of the kids, I believe it was Marcus, it might have been Ophie, one of them were having a problem, scared of something. And in my wisdom, I remember looking at them and just saying, you just need to stop being afraid. Just, you just need to have more, you know, courage. And the problem is, is that we know that is not helpful at all. If we could just summons up more courage or we could just not be afraid, wouldn't we do that? So I realized once again I failed. And so, but the focus on this chapter this morning of 1 Samuel 17, it's really not on David's courage. And we're not certain about who wrote this, these books, uh, but the aim of the author is not just to give us history facts. There is some of that, but he is more trying to help us to develop a theology, which is how do we think rightly about who God is. And so this book is not so much about David and David's courage. It's really to point us about who David's God is. And that's the point of these books. So I'm not here this morning to say, you know what, just have more faith and courage like David. 
Because you and I know that that's not helpful. Because if we knew how to do that, we wouldn't have any problem and we would never be afraid or we would never have to summons up more courage because we would already know how to do that. But the focus of this chapter is not on David's courage, but on his God's power and adequacy in David's weakness. So does David have courage? Sure. Does he have faith? Absolutely. But it's not the amount of faith and courage that David has that matters. It's the direction of his faith and courage that makes the difference. Because you can have all the faith and the courage more than anybody else, but if it's in the wrong direction, that's what really matters. But you don't just get to go out. We just don't have to find this place. You don't go out and find courage. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. You can't just kind of muster it up. And the same thing with faith. So what are we to do? Well, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17. And so here's where we are. So Saul is the king of Israel, but because of his disobedience, God has removed his spirit and his favor from Saul. So here's one of the differences from Old Testament to New Testament. You see God's Spirit in the Old Testament coming upon people, and then it will leave. It isn't until we get Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven, that we get the forever indwelling of the Spirit. So the Spirit is different. It reacts different in the Old Testament. So the Spirit of God was upon Saul, but then it's removed. So Samuel's told by God to go and anoint a new king. He says, of my choosing. We tried it your way, but now it's my turn. And he says, I have a man. Remember, David is the only one that gets this title. A man after my own heart. And that's what we saw last week. Remember Samuel, the prophet, Jesse, and his son, his youngest, David. But the major point last week, remember that Samuel has the sons paraded in front of him, and Eliab's the first one, and Samuel thinks to himself, surely this one right here, this is the one. And then verse 7 of 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now what we'll see is that that is really an important focus even for today. That after the anointing of King David, you remember what he does? Doesn't plan a parade. Doesn't get fitted for a crown. Doesn't go to the nicest robe you know, outlet and, and find one that fits. He goes right back to shepherding his father's sheep. So that's where we find David. Now we're going to skip over the last section of chapter 16, but you can go and read that on your own. We're going to pick up in chapter 17. And we're going to look at this. We're going to move from now what I would call the battle of the ages. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sokal, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sokal and Azekah. In Ephedesim, and Saul said to the men of Israel, were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. And he drew up in line of the battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. 
So the famous Philistines in the northern part, they have moved down to the coast along the Mediterranean. And they are kind of west of where God's people have crossed over the Jordan and settled in the land of Canaan. And they gathered in this valley of Allah. So it sits between these two major cities, two major crossroads. And this valley, in most places, is about a mile wide. So on one side, the Philistines have gathered. The other side, the Israelites. And there is this creek that runs, riverbed, that runs right through the middle of this valley. And then we meet the giant. And everything about these next four verses is meant to impress you. And it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. And his height was six cubits and a span, around ten feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armored with a coat of mail. And by the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. There were about 125 pounds. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, about 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. So if you've heard this, you know this is a massive man covered in metal, has a huge spear, a full-size shield being carried in front of him, and he is their champion or their prized warrior. And if you are Netflix, you know that Troy is now available on Netflix for you to watch, and it's very similar to that. Or you've got this one champion that stands heights above everybody else, and when a battle is going to be fought, this is the man you want there for you. But remember what God has said. Don't focus on the physical appearance or his stature. And so now we're going to get the kind of first insult of Goliath. Verse 8. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not just servants of that man Saul? So choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then they shall be our servants and serve us. And get this. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So notice the contrast. He says, listen, I'm a Philistine. And you are but just servants of this man Saul. But he he does this thing. Instead of the battle coming together of each army, it's a one-on-one representative of each side. You pick your best. I will come out. Kind of winner takes Saul. But I want us to notice the byproduct of of walking by sight. We talked a lot about that last week, of the difference of walking by sight as in walking by faith. But notice the byproduct in verse 11 of walking by sight. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of this Philistine, look at what they did. They were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. 
This word demazed, it means to be um, shattered. It means to be kind of completely filled with terror, to be shaken to your bones. And so the byproduct of walking by sight is fear. And this is what we see this great story. It's actually a, a contrast when the author is now going to shift locations. It's almost like he builds up this excitement. You've got this incredible battle, this huge champion. Who's going to come out and face him? And then all of a sudden, look at verse 12. And now David, a son of an Ephraimite from Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons, in the days of Saul, the men was already old and advanced in years. Meaning Jesse the father, he's old. Fifteen miles away, we find this boy, David. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. <coughs> and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab the first, next Abinadab, and the third Shemaiah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth. I'm going to switch. That way I can control it. So David was the youngest. The three oldest, they followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here's the scenario. David was anointed king, but he went back to working for his father. The end of chapter 16, the Spirit of God is removed from Saul, and an evil spirit is sent to torment him. So they look around. They're trying to find a way to soothe Saul's spirit. So they send for David, who comes and plays the harp and sings. So for several years, probably, David is going back and forth in these two worlds. But he wants us to know that here we are, the three oldest sons are with Saul. But now in verse 16, we go back to the battle. And notice, for 40 days, for 40 days now, the Philistine Goliath had come out, took his stand morning and evening, and he has shouted insults for 40 days. This has been going on. Every day for 40 days, morning and night, Goliath would come out and shout insults. But in one verse, now we go all the way back, verse 17, back to Bethlehem. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephraim of, of parched grain or roasted grain and ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See that your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now notice that's a little bit of an overstatement. Nothing is going on yet. But for 40 days they are being insulted. And David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep and the keeper and he took the provisions and he went. And as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. So envision this. Israel would wake up. They would have their coffee, their bacon and eggs or whatever. I guess they wouldn't have bacon. They'd have their bacon and lamb or whatever it might be. 
They would all get together. They would work themselves up. They would come to the large battle cry. They would come to the edge of the line. And then they would see Goliath. In verse 21, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. And he ran to the ranks and he went and he greeted his brothers. So Jesse sends David with these supplies. He says, listen, go and check on your brothers. I want to know how they are doing and bring me back a report. Now, it's hard to imagine what David must have thought when he came up over that hill, looking down on the valley of Allah, and he sees these two huge armies gathered together. But then as David makes his way down, uh, comes to the Israelite camp, and now this is the 40 first day that this has been happening in verse 23 and as he talked with them behold the champion the philistine of gath goliath by name came up out of the ranks of the philistines and spoke the same words as before so for 40 days every evening every morning he had been shouting these insults but the writer wants you to notice the last four words and david heard him. So for 40 days, Israel, including David's brothers and the kings, they have endured the insults of Goliath. But David, this is the very first time he hears it. And noticed the contrast that we see in beginning in 24. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were afraid. So for 40 days, this has been happening. They wake up, they have their coffee, they get excited, they do their battle cry, they come to the line, Goliath steps out, shouts his insults, and for 40 days, they turn in fear. Because the byproduct of living by sight is fear. And in verse 25, And the men of Israel said this, We have seen this man who has come up, meaning for 40 days, Surely he's come up to defy, meaning to ridicule, to humiliate Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So the king basically, King Saul has put in a reward for, up for anyone that would defeat Goliath. First, you get to marry his daughter, meaning you get to be a son-in-law to the king. Next, you'll be enriched. You'll be made wealthy. And your entire family will get to live in the kingdom tax-free. But notice the contrast. For 40 days, they listened and they trembled in fear. But in verse 26, you're going to see a different reaction. And David said to the men, who stood by him. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And notice the difference in the description. An uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy, ridicule, humiliate the armies of the living God, and the people answered him with the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. So here's the point. 
Israel, even Saul, sees Goliath, and they see a giant that can't be defeated. And for 40 days, they listen to his insults day and night, and they do absolutely nothing. But when David hears them, he simply sees an uncircumcised Philistine, not a giant. He sees a man that is outside the family of God. And here is the key. He sees him cursing his God. And David can't listen to it for one more moment. Because we get to the battle, then the really something else. When we read this story, often we focus on the giant Goliath. And that's how I'd always heard. I loved when we would get to this story because I had a teacher that would let us act them out. And, uh, man, we used to love when we'd get to this one. But David actually faces three Goliaths. Look at the first one in verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Didn't it sound just like a little brother? What have I done now to you? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again, as before. So Eliab, the older brother, he's annoyed with David. He says, why aren't you here? Why, why don't you go back and take care of those few sheep of our father? So I think what we see is that Eliab is really Goliath before Goliath, that he accuses David of being prideful and deceitful. I mean, you know what? We can face discouragement in this life, and it can come from both sides. It can be those that seem as enemies, but sometimes it can be those that should be the closest to you. But there's even another Goliath. Look at 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, meaning they kind of took what he said and repeated it down the line, they were repeated all the way before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, meaning me, I will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight him, for you're but a youth, meaning you're just a young kid. And he has been a man of war from his youth. So David heard the insults. He heard the blasphemy against his God, and David couldn't listen for one more day. For 40 days, David or Goliath had been blaspheming Israel's God, and no one was going to do anything. You see, David knew something. David believed the truth of Leviticus 24, verse 16, that said, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord, look at what should happen. Surely he shall be put to death. And notice how. And the congregation shall stone the sojourner as well as the native. When the blasphemies the name, he shall be put to death. Meaning David knew the blasphemy, the penalty for that was to be stoning. But the whole congregation, it's not going to be them that are going to defend God's name and honor. David's going to do it. But what you see is Goliath number two is actually Saul. 
Saul sees David, and all he sees is an inexperienced young kid, and he cannot believe that David is going to be able to do this. But here's the interesting thing. If anyone was qualified to stand up against Goliath, you know who it would have been? It would have been Saul. Because you remember why they selected him? He was tall. He was stronger than anyone else. That's why they chose him to be the king. And he was a Benjamite. And the Benjamites were known to be experts with the sling. But it isn't Saul. Saul looks because he is also walking by sight. But David, David says, I know something that you don't. He says, I have a secret. And he gives it to you in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both uh, down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living god david says listen um and you don't know this about me but i have a secret i I know the life of a shepherd and you think it might just be sitting under a shade tree taking a nap singing relaxing But a shepherd's life was always under the constant threat in watching over not his own life, but his flock. And David is saying, don't discredit me. You think I don't have experience? He says, I have been striking down enemies, and it's been a part of my job. The only thing, it's been dangerous animals instead of animals. But here's the key. Here's why this story is not about go and have courage like David, because it's in verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Because you can read this story backwards and forwards, and at no time does David ever take success or credit for that, not one time. So does David have faith? Yes. Does he have courage? Absolutely. But it's not the amount of faith and courage he has that's important. It's the direction of that faith. So David, what does he do? He remembers. He remembers how God empowered and delivered him in the past. And he says, you know what? Yahweh will do the same for me now. Meaning looking back in faith enabled David to look forward in faith. And he says what God did in the wilderness of Judea, you know what? He'll do in this valley of a law. And that's the difference of walking by faith and not by sight. Because the byproduct of walking by sight is always fear. Faith is courage. So in verse 38 through 40, you, you get that part where Saul builds him up and puts all of his armor on him. David can't walk around. It's too heavy. It's uncomfortable. Takes it off. Instead, he goes and he collects five stones from that riverbed in the valley. And this is where we get Goliath number three. Verses 41 through 40, notice that Goliath crosses over the riverbed and he sees David. 
He is even insulted that David is so young and inexperienced. I mean, Goliath is a champion. And he's looking out and he's thinking, why have you sent this inexperienced kid? This is not even going to be close. He says, David, you want to come out against me? I'll turn you into animal feed. But in verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, notice this is the first time anyone has said a word to Goliath. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. So he says, Goliath, you come in your own power. And strengthen all the greatest of earthly weapons. But David knows this. They are no match for his God. David believes that it's not whether you have the best weapons, but whether you have the one true God. David is not coming in his own power, his own strength. He says he's actually coming in his weakness. And so for 40 days, Goliath stands day and night, and he shouts these insults and curses the God of Israel. And for 40 days, he watches Israel's king and the army run and hide in their tents. But on this day, day 41, he shouts again, and I love this. He looks up, and this is what he sees in verse 48. And when the Philistine rose, and he came, and he drew near to meet David... David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David runs right at him. I mean, think of what it would have been like to be Goliath. I mean, he had to have been one that was used to, any time he walked down the street, people moved out of his way. If he walked in to sit down, people would give up their seat. And he looks out across this valley and he sees this young man running Right at him. And then verse 41, And David put his hand into his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he struck the Philistine, and he killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. So if you know the rest of the story, he goes and takes the Goliath's own sword and he cuts off his head. They chase the Philistines all the way back to Gath. They come back and they uh, plunder the Philistines' camp. And David takes the head to Jerusalem. But I want us to know something interesting here. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5, you go all the way back The Philistines are in the picture again. The Philistines have won a huge battle over the Israelites, and they have captured their most prized 
possession. They took the ark. The ark was the presence of their God. It it held God's communication to them. It was so holy, you could not touch it without losing your life. And the Philistines, they capture it. So what do you do when you capture something? You take it into your temple. And the Philistines were worshipers of the god Dagon. So they take in the ark and they put it next to their, the stone carving of their god. And the next day, they walk in and this is what they find. The Philistines look and they see the ark next to their god Dagon that has been uh, face down. Its head is cut off and it is laying before the ark. And this is exactly what we see with Goliath. And so here's, here's the message this morning. Here's what it's not. The message is not, you know what, just go and have more courage. Just go, you know what you need to do? Go and have more faith like David. Well, I think the message is twofold. First, the focus of this chapter is not on David's courage, but it's on his God's power and adequacy in David's weakness. And so, The theme of this chapter is actually weakness. Because notice all the important people, all the important people regarded David as weak. Eliab thought David was weak and a pain. Saul thought David was too weak and inexperienced. Goliath thought David was young and weak. But God used David to deliver Israel. So Yahweh, God saved Israel, not by the power of human strength, but through the weakness of his servant. Meaning he gave victory through what the world thought was weak. Because it's not the amount of courage and the amount of faith that we have that matters and makes a difference. It's the direction that makes the difference. But second... Just like Israel needed someone to stand and fight Goliath on their behalf, we actually need someone to stand in and fight an even greater battle over sin and death for us. And we know his name is Jesus. That David points, and he's even the one that helps bring this man. So just like David, Jesus was looked at, and he was thought to be a coward. He was rejected by men, thought to be weak and powerless. But he came to live the life that we could never live. And he came to die the death that we deserve. He came to represent us and to win the battle for us. And so here's the beautiful thing about this story. I think it's a perfect example of how God works even today. That his name is magnified not when we're great and not when we're successful, That God's name is made great and magnified when we're actually seen as weak. Meaning we don't have to, we don't have to be eloquent or strong or handsome. We don't have to be beautiful or brilliant or even have all the answers to be used by God. He honors our faith in Him even as small as it may be. And all He asks is that we walk by faith and not by sight, and trust that he will win the battle for us. So here's the question I'd love to leave us with today. Wherever you are, whatever may be going on in your life, 
What are you trusting or who are you trusting in to win that battle that you are in? Because if it's not Jesus, I mean, our prayer will be that you would allow someone to share him with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, man, we thank you for this extraordinary story. We thank you for the way that, man, you've used this young man, David, to bring glory to your name. We're grateful for the ways that it reminds us that in weakness we're actually made strong, not in our own power, but the power of your spirit and the union that we have with your Lord, it's not the amount of faith and courage that we have, but it's the direction of it that makes a difference. And each and every day we are faced with so many challenges to put that faith and that courage in other things and in other directions. Lord, we want it pointed directly at you and you alone. So Lord, this week we ask that you would magnify your name in our families, in our community, and even around the world. So Lord, now bless us. We pray because we ask all of these things, not in our own power. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.